Welcome to Impacting Care, inspiring stories from people who are impacting care together by raising awareness or improving diagnosis and access to care for people living with hemophilia and other blood disorders in low- and middle-income countries. This podcast is produced by the Novo Nordisk Hemophilia Foundation. Hello and welcome. My name is Natalia and I'm happy to welcome you to a new series of podcasts focusing on people living with haemophilia. Today we have with us Novi Riandini, one of the founders and a very active volunteer of the Indonesian Haemophilia Society. Hi, uh, my name is Novi Riandini from uh, Indonesian Haemophilia Society. Right now I'm uh, working as a full-time volunteer for uh, for IHS and helping them for the uh, international affair and humanitarian aid um, product. Novi, could you tell us a bit about yourself? How did you get involved actively with haemophilia? Yeah, I'm active with haemophilia since I get married with my husband. My husband and I met for uh, three years before we get married. And uh, uh, as soon as I get married with him, I feel like I have uh, no idea where to find uh, anything, any source for hemophilia. Mm. So, yeah, it's really difficult at that time to get any education and thing for hemophilia in Indonesia at that time. Yeah. I mean, how at that time, how did you manage the condition as, as a family? Um, it's a... Uh, quite a difficult time at that moment because my husband only can get the fresh frozen plasma as a treatment it's a blood transfusion and uh, which uh, my husband can get the heavy allergic Um, he can get swollen all over his body uh, for three days I think. So that was something that you you had to deal with um, together? Yeah. How did you initially get involved in the patient organization? Yeah, after we get married, then um, when I go to see, uh, to see, to get the treatment, to get the transfusion, I met uh, several, several patients and uh, parents. Then uh, I introduced myself uh, to them and we talk about hemophilia and everything. Then suddenly we decided to build uh, some kind of a family group uh, we, and then we continue it with uh, Indonesian Hemophilia Foundation. Mm-hmm. Novi, could you um, share with us uh, your personal experiences of being a wife of somebody living with haemophilia? Yeah, it's quite a lot of challenge to become a haemophilia wife. For example, at the first time I got married, my husband actually, I think at that time, is the first hemophilia who got married in Jakarta. So uh, there's a funny, I don't know, it's, is it funny or it's a sad story, but yeah, it's a... Uh, when I'm waiting for a, a, a FFP uh, in a blood transfusion center, um, a lot of uh, hemophilia parents, mother, especially mother, put me in the corner and they sitting around me, all of them, I think it's more than five person, I think, they asking curiously about, is it really hemophilia can get the family, can get the babies? Is there have a, some kind of... A, like having a normal family life. Yeah, because they don't, they don't have any 
any source, any kind of information about hemophilia in adult. So yeah, um, at that time they keep asking me about anything. Sometimes I feel like embarrassed to answer that at that time, uh, as an Indonesian, of course. Yeah. And then, uh, but uh, soon I I feel like I have to adjust myself. I have to tell them about everything frankly. I mean, it's some kind of ed- educational thing to them to you know. I mean, do you feel some sort of a responsibility to them to share all your experiences? Yes, of course. It's uh, I feel like until now there's a misguiding uh, of hemophilia information. Sometimes I feel like I have a responsibility to to make it right, to correct it. You know. Yeah, yeah. Opening that dialogue. I think it's great that you are there for people to just ask all the questions that they that they just want to know, you know. Mm-hmm. Um can you tell us about the the history of the Indonesian Hemophilia Society from its start? Yeah, um first time uh, I've joined with them they they already have a parents group in I think it's in 1998 something. Then in 1999, uh, we decided to establish the Indonesian Hemophilia Foundation, which consists only hemophilia and uh, their parents. Uh, but after uh, years, uh, in 2004, I guess, in Semarang, in Central Java, we are deciding to change the Hem- Indonesian Hemophilia Foundation to Indonesian Hemophilia Society. And then uh, we established the uh, Indonesian Hemophilia Society uh, in 2005, uh, acknowledged by the Minister of Health. And it, at, in this organization, national organization, we consist uh, all uh, elements uh, from doctors, uh, nurse, patient, uh, families, and, and others. How... Um... How did you manage to move the patient organization from the stage of an informal group of parents and patients to a formal national group? What was what were some of the the details that went into that process? Yeah, uh, because uh, from the patient to the foundation, we found uh, legal difficulties uh, to do a lot of things. A patient organization, it's not uh, legally uh, acknowledged by the government. But when we change to Indonesian Hemophilia Foundation, um, we have to submit it to the government that we are a legal uh, organization. With that moment, we we can uh, do a lot of things from advocacy thing to the government for the, to have a better treatment and ask them to uh, declare that hemophilia is part of uh, catastrophic illness, which is then the government can support us. Uh, but just to um, find out a bit more about how your uh, past experience with media and public relation, how did that support you um, in creating awareness about hemophilia? Yeah, um, I just talk about uh, first about my experience um, 
spreading information about hemophilia. At that time, I was trying to have uh, some kind of sharing moment uh, through media, through newspaper, magazine, TV, or, or radio. But it seems like there's no one would like to share about hemophilia in their family at all. So I was asking my mother-in-law and my husband permission. At the first time, my my husband, it seems like he won't uh, let people know about his hemophilia condition. But I tried to um, convince him. This is good for other people. Just let them know about hemophilia and they can get treatment like you, I said to him. And then uh, at the first three years, Uh, all media covering us because there's no one uh, hemophilia patient and their family would like to open about uh, their life. Mm. They're living with hemophilia. Yeah. How did you realize that there was a need to develop the patient organization into this formal national group? And when did you realize that it was necessary to do this? It, it, yeah, in 2002, uh, at that time, we are going to see the Minister of Health, but it seems like they not give us full attention because we are not doctors, we're just lay people, you know. What What were some of the challenges that you needed to overcome? The challenges is, uh, yeah, Indonesia is an archipelago country. It's not really easy to uh, to share any information in Indonesia. Uh, because, yeah, from one island to one island, it's uh, quite expensive for them, especially they, they, the one who living in remote area. For example, if there is someone uh, from hemophilia in uh, Celebes Island or Sulawesi Island, to get uh, the treatment center, they should spend around 24 hours. Wow, yeah. So can you imagine if uh, there's someone bleeding, then they... She, he should uh, what uh, feel the the pain while they are going to the treatment center. Mm. Yeah, that that's a yeah, big yeah, the big challenge for us. What are some of the ways uh, or some of the things that you've managed to implement to address these sorts of challenges? Yeah, we are uh, right now, thanks to the uh, Novo Nordisk Hemophilia Foundation, we are now already have a safari seminar and, uh, in 10 provinces. Uh, this seminar uh, uh, consists uh, one seminar for doctor and one seminar for uh, lay people. So, yeah, uh, we give them the lecture about hemophilia for the medical in the local area and then for the lay people, family, and hemophilia, uh, we we teach them about hemophilia. We uh, we teach them how to do the self infusion because we think that this is important for them to know how to do the uh, self injection as a first aid for hemophilia before they get to the treatment center. You're listening to Impacting Care from the Novo Nordisk Hemophilia Foundation. If you're enjoying this episode, please make sure to subscribe to this podcast in your podcast player. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Novi, how do do the members, and in particular people with hemophilia, benefit from 
the activities organised by the Indonesian Haemophilia Society? Yeah, uh, in the past, I think around five years, yeah, now, uh, we we are having a collaboration with the Novo Nordisk Haemophilia uh, Foundation. We do teaching the self-infusion for uh, family and hemophilia itself. Um, usually before pandemic, we are going to its uh, city. We have now uh, around eight, I think, I believe. We teach them with the nurse uh, and so on, helping them how to do the self-infusion correctly. And since the COVID, we, we cannot continue teach them like that because, yeah, you know, we have a dis, uh, distance uh, problem. We make uh, some kind of a video to teach them how to do the self-infusion. I, I think uh, self-infusion, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's really important for us as a hemophilia. As I recall, there, there is a patient uh, from a remote area ever told me that they they really difficult to uh, get the treatment easily because of the the distance. Uh, there's a mom telling me that the, when uh, his hemophilia son got a uh, bleeding, he go to the hospital, but it seems like the hospital cannot give the treatment until the morning. And we can believe that it's really painful for her to see her children suffering from the pain. Um, yeah, that's why um, I think it's a really good thing that we let them uh, know about self-infusion. We, we mentioned this a bit earlier, uh, but just to um, find out a bit more about how your uh, past experience with media and public relation, how did that support you um, in creating awareness about haemophilia? Yeah, it's a, uh, we have a quite good impact at that time. Uh, I'm starting to introduce hemophilia through the media it's since uh, 2002. And uh, before, I only have uh, 120 patients. Uh, I get this number uh, by manually. I'm visiting, uh, I'm introducing myself with the doctors, hematology doctors, and ask them if they have uh, any hemophilia patient. Just inform me, then I will come to the hospital and do the data thing. Then... I think in the, th- the third years, uh, the the increased number it's around five hundred something. So yeah, it's a good impact for us. Uh, and then yeah, uh, we make a small hot. It's not a fancy hotline, but it's a small hotline. I put my parents' house phone number as a hotline. Oh wow! Yeah, so every time. <laughs> Every time uh, someone asking about hemophilia, I will tell them what I know from the doctors. Yeah. So this is this is a hotline where people can ring. It goes to your parents' house, but you can pick it up and they can ask you anything, and you will tell them what what you know. Yeah, yeah, it's like that. How does it work in terms of um, you know the geography of where people are? Are you able to sort of refer them to any patient organisations um, that are, are near them or any chapters that are, are near to where they live? Yes. Uh, uh, at the first time, uh, I was uh, do the database of uh, which uh, hospital who can treat hemophilia first. And 
And then um, if there is a chapter uh, from IHS, then uh, I refer them to to contact them directly so they can uh, give the suggestion where to go. But if there's no uh, chapter, I will uh, direct them to the nearest place, hospital who could uh, treat hemophilia. How is the collaboration with healthcare professionals dedicated to providing care to people with haemophilia in Indonesia? Yeah, they really, uh, really help us, actually, especially uh, the one who become a board member in uh, each chapter. Uh, For example, um, last year, no, two, two years ago, we are do the advocacy to the government to ask them, to demand them to have a, a national protocol for hemophilia treatment. Uh, because without that, that uh, hemophilia cannot get a similar treatment for one to another uh, city or hospital, perhaps. Yeah, uh, they're really important for us because I believe uh, if uh, that that's why that's why we built the Indonesia Hemophilia Society at the beginning because of that. We still need doctors, professionals to help us to to get better treatment for hemophilia. Yeah. What is the biggest thing that you've learned from this journey as a wife of a person living with haemophilia and also as an active volunteer of the Indonesian Haemophilia Society? Um, life goes on. Life goes on. So, yeah, never give up on anything, yeah. as my mom said. After you make a decision, that's what I know. Yeah, yeah. And what advice would you give to other caretakers? Um, yeah, hemophilia, it's, uh, it's a rare disease and uh, no one individual person could support hemophilia treatment by themselves. And I guess uh, it's some kind of, uh, if a government could help us, I believe we are not a burden for government. If hemophilia can get better treatment, they can do as a normal people, like my husband can go work and pay tax, something like that. They can give uh, something back, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Novi, thank you so much for talking with me today. You're, you're welcome, Natalia. It's a pleasure for me to share a, a little bit with uh, my life in hemophilia in Indonesia. Wow, Novi is a very inspiring person. So that is the end of today's episode. Please make sure to subscribe to this podcast. If you want to start or get involved with a project where you live or find more information, please visit the Novo Nordisk Haemophilia Foundation website at www.nnhf.org. Thanks for listening. This podcast is intended for informational, educational, and inspirational purposes only. Please speak with a healthcare professional before making any decisions related to your health. The interviews in this series are with project partners, people with bleeding disorders, and volunteers who are impacting care with the Novo Nordisk Haemophilia Foundation. Our guests haven't received compensation, and the views expressed are those of the people interviewed.